slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Welcome to the Doing Time Show. Uh, this is Peter. Um, this is FreeCR Community Radio 855 on the AM dial, streaming live on www.freecr.org.au. First up on the show, we will be talking to Anthony Kelly from Flemington Kingston Legal Centre about Victoria's police announcement to introduce confronting new riot gear. Victoria Police are introducing a series of new weapons these are control, crowd control guns um, and apparatus that are, could seriously criminalise protesters and minority groups. We also are, will be speaking to about the appalling racist behaviour of Assistant Commissioner Brett Gruelden, who spread vile, racist, sexist, homophobic abuse online in the secret for a long time, Assistant Commissioner Brad Gruelan was not just the only, not just an, any old cop. He was a career, a career, and police officer with 40 years of service, who headed Professional Standards Commands. After that, we'll be speaking to Vicky Rage, respected Aboriginal writer and activist about the stolen generation and her experience and views in regard regards to this. Uh, we'll just go to a song now. This is um, Sorry by AB Original. I'm sorry. You're sorry. I'm sorry. You're sorry, you caught some feelings from me. I might just kill somebody. La di la da di la da da. I'm sorry, you're sorry, you caught some feelings from me. I might just kill somebody. You make me feel some kind of way. La di la da di la da da. La di la da di la da da. La di la da di. We keep a G without the thousand dollars to our namesake. Me and B the same name and camouflage. Drop so many answers off my chest, they call.
bullet abotage camo cars looking for that buzz like i'm a land on mars they tried to ride along but none could ever handle buzz heavy on the helion my strings bring a gallon you think it was a speaker that must mean that i'm a gentleman now i'm back so they stepping and i'm black so they stressing that the fact that my weapon is just that i'm black so they terrified put the song on record so it never dies i did the wrong so my son could always get it right what's it being known if you ain't ever leaving home and speaking on it you want to give me try to be anonymous as a rare commodity in this here economy but hey me and b you make them see like parents on me leave to my money round up the squad don't worry who was on buddy you don't like me on tv that's just fine honey talking on the bullshit and then they're trying to hide from me please bitch you don't want to shoot the messages but i want to do something to leave the messages living proof you got to learn the lesson is you fuck around and have to make the messages And you're back with the Free CRs Doing Time Show. I um, must apologise. I didn't know there was um, some language warning there. I didn't listen to the song before it came on. Um, we've got Anthony Kelly on the line. I'll just get him. Hi, Anthony. G'day, Peter. Hi. Um, um, Anthony, we, we, um, you're going to talk about the um, racist police policing in Victoria and... Also, the um, the don't worry about it. <laughs> um, I'll just t- I'll shoot some questions at you. Um, in yeah, the, sure. In the Age newspaper recently published a- an article about the the new weapons to be given to Victoria Police. Can you tell us about this and the list of weapons and what they're for? <laughs> Certainly, yeah. So, um, the the Age and the Herald Sun and the Channel Seven. Um, all had uh, exclusive access to a launch of a new armoury of police weapons that yeah. um, Victoria Police had obtained under a heap of new funding that they obtained from the Cohen State Government. Uh, and it's not just for these uh, weapons, it's for our um, big training facilities and a uh, 24-7 command surveillance centre in CBD and uh, 
uh, new vehicles and a whole range of other things that they've um, got as part of this uh, virtually a $2 billion package um, that came out in 2016 and includes, you know, thousands of more police, I think over 3,000 more police, uh, and and which will bring the number of Victoria police, I think, up to about 21,000 um, mm. serving serving members, and also body-worn cameras, uh, and also some very um, sophisticated um, data IT um, technology uh, that's oh, really? also being implemented at the moment. Yeah, a lot, a lot of databases being merged so that police are able to, um, you know, uh, look at things across the board for predict- predictive um, tracking of suspects. So that's something that we're also keeping an eye on at the moment as well. Mm. Um, but the new weapons, they got a lot of yeah, media attention and are obviously of great concern because they're going to be pointed at Victorian citizens uh, in a not-too-distant future. Uh, and a, a lot of these weapons had already been in existence or used by Victoria Police, but only by very special units. Such as the um, special operations group or the um, critical incident response teams, and they're the ones that um, go into prisons during uprisings or um, uh, or go into like hostage situations. Um, and so they've been used or deployed at least in very limit, limited, relatively limited circumstances. Yeah. And what they were announcing on Thursday was the rollout of these weapons to the operations response unit which uh, would be familiar to many listeners. Uh, the, um, uh, they're um, they're the, the police often at um, the protests and counter-protests over recent years. Um, sometimes they're helmeted up with uh, riot gear and sometimes they're mm. just in um, you know, more intense uniforms. But um, there's going to be the initial... Um, uh, there'll be about 100 initially trained in the use of these, uh, what they call crowd control or non-lethal weapons. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be rolled out over this year by the sound of it. So that, that will affect the um, civil and political rights of um, protesters and minority groups as well. Well, that's right, yeah. So so the police have flagged that they'll be... Um, they're, they're necessary in the police's perspective for um, protests to get out of control where violence happens mm. um, in um, teenage parties really? uh, and that's still into the street and also and for other up, upright you know um, for other civil disorder events and so these have been in the pipeline for a long time but um, but one of the incidents that they uh, referenced was the the protests against the Milo Yiannopoulos event in Flemington in early December last year, yeah. um, where riot police went straight into the um, Flemington housing estates and, um, you know, caused a great deal of um, uproar and, and um, frustration amongst residents and, uh, and also a lot of injuries and complaints that uh, you know, came from that sort of policing. So they were using that as a... a, a a rationale, a justification for increasing their um, uh, their the range of weaponry that they have available. But uh, in our view, it makes it um, an example of why uh, riot police, even with the current level of weaponry and technology, uh, are very dangerous and can um, generate civil disorder rather than quell it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the sort of the uh, weapons that they announced include 
um, uh, rubber bullets, rubber bullet launchers, and they've been known to kill and maim, uh, depending on the range that they're fired and, and what part of the body the rubber bullet hits. Mm. Um, so they're, all these weapons are classed as sub-lethal or non-lethal, and yet uh, on very regular occasions they cause permanent injuries or death. Uh, another weapon is the stinger grenades, which can be thrown or rolled into crowds and create uh, and explode with smoke and noise, but also um, throw pellets out, often rubber pellets that uh, hit at waist high, or if they're thrown, they're even more dangerous. So they can also blind, maim um, people, and they also cause a great deal of confusion and distress. Um, they've talked about flashbang grenades, which are also used in um, conflict zones around the world as form of crowd control, and they um, they're also very dangerous. And also, what the what you saw most of the pictures of in the media were these um, pellet ball guns. They're automatic weapons that can either fire capsicum um, mm. balls of little cap little um, pellets of capsicum at people, or they can um, use die markers like paintball, essentially. Um, to target to target people or tag people for later arrest. Oh, really? Um, or um, they can fire rubber bullets um, as well. So, you know, rubber projectiles. And they're also very dangerous, uh, depending on the range and where they hit the body as well. But that sounds very really dangerous. Um, just say they, you know, they think they're a good shot. No, hit you in the heart or something. Yeah, so yeah, so um, people with pre-existing injuries is one thing, but also when they hit the side of the head, the temple, the f- uh, face mm. or eyes, and any soft body parts, they can um, cause serious injury or potentially death. And there's, there's been a number of deaths. Rubber bullets, of course, have caused deaths over many decades. They've been, you know, in Northern Ireland, people might remember a whole series of deaths related to the pl- uh, British police use of rubber bullets in that context. But uh, around the world, they're often um, res- um, cause deaths of protesters. So, yeah, so all of this is um, quite quite uh, disturbing and worrying. And uh, what we noticed straight away from the uh, from the way that it was launched is that the Victoria Police were essentially saying, um, "We need the community to come on board with this sort of stuff." You know these these weapons are necessary, and they need to be, and we need to use them, and they're justified, and we want you to come with us. And uh, you might, you, some people might have noticed the Melbourne Activist Legal Support Group putting out a um, a statement and an article on yeah. the weekend, and so that um, uh, pretty much clarified that uh, a large part of the community were not with the Chief Commissioner on this one, and uh, it's been uh, the hashtag not with us. Oh, sorry, not with you. Has been um, quite prolific on on Twitter and um, social media at the moment of um, groups and individuals saying that uh, no, we don't support the rollout of these new weapons. Mm. It's like a fear tactic too, isn't it, to quieten the masses? Sort of thing? Yes, yeah. So any sort of police um, uh, weaponry like this generates fear and can also restrict our civil and you know, political rights to assemble on the streets due, due to the fact that we're, people are justifiably scared of what the police are going to do. 
Um, so that in itself is an infringement on the right to peaceful peaceful assembly. Yeah. Um, now, police have a certain idea. We we know from studies around the world that the presence of riot police can, as I said before, generate disorder, generate panic and fear and um, create conflict. Mm. And police, to a certain extent, are aware of this. They're often careful, a little bit careful, in inverted commas, um, <laughs> about when they deploy riot police. And uh, they try and do it in stages, etc. Um, but even then, uh, we know, and Melbourne activist legal supporters often said this, that they often deploy riot police far earlier than they should. Yeah. And often the situation changes quite drastically once riot police are deployed. And um, so what you see is, in effect, what are like a mini arms race between the activist groups and the police. Um, you know, overseas and in Europe, um, activists have, you know, wear helmets and wear um, body armour and shields and mm. build barricades in response to this sort of weapon. Um, and so you sort of see this arms race between, you know, uh, of, of escalation and it's something that you know it's not effective it's not good for civil and political rights it's not good for no. people in victoria um at all yeah could, yeah. Uh, could you um comment on what happened with the querin affair i think it's called is oh right okay so the former assistant commissioner brett Giran uh was in charge of um, the the uh, area in Victoria Police that um, took complaints from the public yeah. called the Professional Standards Command. Yeah. And so the um, the Professional Standards Command has um, seized the complaints from all over Victoria. Mm. And Brett Gearan, um was head of this, as I said. It was uncovered by uh, a team of investigative journalists from Fairfax um, the age, in yeah. particular, that um, um, Brett Gearan had been using a pseudonym and trolling um, sort of police opponents uh, in various forms uh, over an, over a long, quite a long period of time, yeah. and and later discovered that using the same online accounts had been engaging in this quite really horrific, uh, racist, and transphobic, and um, really quite almost genocidal. Um, um, you know, sort of commentary and trolling on other social media platforms such as YouTube and others. Oh, and really? so basically, he, um, this, you know, very senior commander of Victoria Police had been engaging in all this, alleged, you know, allegedly, he's, he admitted it as such and, but, and later resigned. Um, you know, really quite horrific race, uh, racist views. And so um, what that immediately um, raised concerns about was um, he, this guy was overseeing um, complaints about racial discriminatory policing and a whole range of other uh, issues and at, to what level was his personal views and prejudices uh, impacting upon the complaints that he oversaw. Oh, right. Yeah. So... Uh, and it was this is a particular interest to this legal centre because um, many people might remember back in 2005 and six and seven, um, Tamara Hopkins, who was here, was putting in multiple complaints of uh, about racial profiling from local um, uh, right. young people in the area, yep. and we were putting those in. And at that time, uh, Brett Guerin was superintendent of our area, 
and he had oversight of the complaints that we were putting in locally initially. And so we immediately called for an audit and investigation into the, the complaints that Brett Kieran oversaw. Right. And an IBAC, um, the Independent Bureau Against Corruption, um, have announced um, a, an investigative uh, pro, um, program it's called Operation Turin into uh, Brett Gurin's online behaviour and the extent to which he has oversight of various, uh, you know, his biases have impacted upon complaints under his command. So, so that's, that's, that, that investigation is currently underway. Underway now. All oh, right. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting to mm-hmm. see the outcome. Yeah, yeah. So it points to the potential of, you know, this, this the idea of institutionalised racism, just how racism gets um, mm. supported and promoted and protected within, an, within a, uh, a large body or an institution and how those sentiments become um, part of operations and practices within the institution. It comes to system- so that's systemic some- too, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So when it becomes institutionalised and systemic, and that's something that we've been, of course, um, observant of and worried about and, and uh, highlighting continually with our, um, you know, continual cases and work against um, stop-and-search practices and uh, racialised policing and discriminatory policing. Mm. But this also comes down to senior command, as a, a commander within the top echelons of Victoria Police having really... Uh, abhorrent uh, values, um, and to what extent do they impact on his their, on his practices and the ability of Victoria Police to deal appropriately with um, with um, complaints about racial profiling? Yep. All right. Um, have you got anything more to say about that? Or um, no. Well, it, so if you're concerned about the um, the uh, police weapons issue, I yep. recommend heading to um, the, the uh, Melbourne Activist Legal Support website uh, for the latest um, articles and initiatives there. And if you've got any, um, if you want to keep up to date with the work of the Police Accountability Project, then head to policeaccountability.org.au oh, good for one, updates yeah. and Thanks news. Awesome. Thanks, um, Anthony. I'll get in contact with you soon about uh, probably the, about the, um, the, the um, police corruption stuff. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, Peter. Thanks very much. Thanks, Pete. Bye for now. See you. Bye. And that was Anthony Kelly uh, from Flemington Kingston Legal Centre talking about um, the Commissioner, ex-Police Commissioner Brett Gruelin, um spreading vile and racist homophobic abuse and also about the new weaponry um, riot, for riot police that could be rolling out soon, which is a bit, a bit of a worry. Marxism 18 is Australia's biggest radical left-wing conference, happening March 29th to April 1st in Melbourne. The conference will feature founding editor of Jacobin magazine, Baska Sunkara, Australian writer Helen Razor, Palestinian activist Huwaida Araf, and films celebrating 50 years since the struggles of 1968. Join radicals and activists for political discussion in over 100 sessions across four days. Tickets start at $25 and are available at marxismconference.org. Red Flag Press is a 3CR supporter.
And next on the line is um, Vicky Roach. Um, we'll be talking. To, um, she's a respected Aboriginal writer and activist, speaking about stolen generation and drawing upon NITV's investigation about this in 1991. Vicky was taken into care, state care, after her mother asked the authorities to look after her temporarily. She went to another child in a home and unmarried for unmarried mothers. Her mother never got back to her and Vicky was the only two was only two years old and was made a ward of the state given to a white foster family. She had changed her sheets say, saying that, that she was charged for charged for neglect or dissolution Oh, Vicky. Hi. Hi, Peter. How are you? Hi. I'm not sure. That, that was a funny intro. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, what, what happened was um, when I was two, yeah. um, like my mother was unmarried. She was in all sorts of difficulty. There wasn't a lot of help for um, women around those days. And she went to the child welfare because she'd been awarded the state as well until she was 18, and she wasn't even, oh, she was only just 20 by then. And yeah. um, their response was to um, give me to the daughter of the foster family. So she was working at the child welfare office that, that my mum went into. Yeah. And um, they sought custody of me. And took me to court, and I was the very when I received my wardship file, um, on probably about five years ago or something. The first document in it was a charge sheet from when I was two years old. They literally charged me. Charged you. My name was on. Yep. At the charge sheet, sheet said that I was apprehended <laughs> in the in the court. And um, charged with being neglected by way of destitution. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I read, read change sheet <laughs> by mistake. No, charge sheet. Charge oh. sheet, yeah. Oh. Yeah, they they used to do it. Um, oh, I'm not even sure when they stopped doing it or if they stopped doing it. Mm. But um, it was basically a device to remove us, to take us away. Yeah. Um yeah, like they, it, was, it was an official way of doing it through the court, I suppose. But it had the effect of of giving us all criminal records. Oh, yes. So if and when you did come to the notice of um, police or anybody else, um, because you had these things in your criminal record that weren't even criminal charges. Yeah. Um, you were treated like a criminal and more easily taken into the to the criminal system into the criminal justice system. Yep. So, can you uh, comment on the stolen generation and the part of it, this played um, from 
been hurting Aboriginal people? Oh, look, it's it's happening again now. It's, well, yeah. it's never really stopped, but um, we're having another concerted campaign to remove as many Aboriginal children as we possibly can. We know we know how how badly it damaged not just individual people, but our our communities as, as a whole. The fabric of our entire mm. society um, is is ripped apart by these removals. And for for the children who are removed, the loss of culture and identity is far-reaching. It, it never ends. And we also know that children who are removed and in the care and protection of child services are most often likely to, to go to child detention, youth detention, and wind up in prison yeah, for later yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, exactly like I did, and millions like me. Yeah. Oh, thousands, anyway. Yeah, I, um, this is a separate question, but I, I was at school and um, the teacher was saying that she worked in child protection up north and stuff. Yeah. And she's saying, oh, yeah, but they should take them to the white white families because there's not enough Aboriginal people to look after them and all this stupid stuff. And I actually wrote it, not a complaint, but I wrote it towards, I suggested that... Um, she had an Aboriginal speaker about that stuff in, in class, and she you know what I mean because she was a white woman saying this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, got, I was really yeah. upset about it actually. Well, it is really upsetting, and mm. you know, all anybody says is, "Won't somebody think of the children?" But exactly, won't somebody think of the children? We know this does not have good outcomes. You yeah. know. Um, like it's the very definition of stupidity is to keep repeating the same thing and expecting a different outcome. <laughs> We're not going to get a different outcome. We're just going to have more and more and more badly damaged people. Yeah. And oh, sorry. Um, she was also. No, go ahead. She was also saying that um, you know, there's lots of um, drinking and just the typical stereotype stuff, like and child molestation, and it's like what? You're a teacher about you know social. Um, community services, and you're talking about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like she's also reading a lot of um, mainstream media as well. Sound like, um, a, like Channel 7 or something? Well, sorry, big well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 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 kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> because look, what we found um, from the report, in um, from the intervention... Mm. Um, oh, no, hold on. It's a little children and sacred report which actually led to the intervention. Um, the, the sexual abuse wasn't just occurring. Like There, there were... No cases were ever prosecuted uh, of, a, of a First Nations person abusing a child in the Northern Territory. Mm. Yet the report said that it was mostly white workers. Yep. White social workers, white construction workers, um, the army, I presume, just all the other services that that were there. Mm. You know, we're 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 so vulnerable like that, and it's so easy for them to skew it in the media so that it appears that we're eating up our own communities. Our communities are being eaten up, but not by us. Yeah, it's by the from outside forces. Yeah, 
for the white man's making or, making this yeah making the situation untenable for us to remain in remote communities so yeah. that they can take the land of course yep could could you talk about what happened to you when you were criminalized as a child i believe your mother trusted authorities to look after you temporarily well, yeah yeah she did and she was betrayed because they didn't thought to remove her from me permanently. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, being having having that on my record, and because I was already under um, the child welfare as it was known back then, like normal um, disciplinary issues that would be dealt with in the home or at school became um, occasions to call the child welfare officer. And it may or may not become a criminal matter. You know, or not so much a criminal matter as a juvenile matter and I'd have to go to kids' court and yeah. explain why I'm a naughty girl, you know, for not cleaning my room and stuff. Um, <coughs> but, yeah, um, those instances of, of being spoken to, you might say, by the child welfare officer, um, were, went on your record. And there were things that when you became old enough to come to the notice of the police, and I ran away from home a lot, so the police would often catch me and, and bring me back. But that, even that was not a criminal charge, running away from home. It was it was always being charged with neglect, exposed to moral danger, being exposed to moral danger, and being uncontrollable, we used to call it the trifecta. Was that just all general things they charged you with? Or just, yes. Oh, yes. it's not running away from home. Was no, but if you run away from home, that's what they charge you with. They charge you with yeah, that yeah. for oh, pretty right. much any anything you did wrong. And and of course those those instances, and because they're all recorded on your record, when you say sixteen, seventeen, mm. going on eighteen, um, they they take more notice and they put you up into adult court which they did to me, and so I, I went to prison when I was 17, did my first sentence in six months. Oh, right. Yeah, and and it wasn't necessary. I, I wasn't caught with any drugs. I hadn't actually had any drugs at that time. Yeah. I had no implements on me, um, but they offered me help and... I thought that was a good idea at the time, so I admitted that I'd been using drugs. Oh. And they locked me up. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, I said shit. For six months, I, I presume that was the help they were going to get me. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's not, just a, a, um, not just my story. That's the story of, of so many Aboriginal people, and even, even people who are just state wars. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of those um, at school, a lot of people who were state wards, wards of the state. Yeah. Um, you, you were different. You were definitely different and treated differently and viewed differently. Yeah, you were. Um, yeah. Um, I wasn't yeah. one. Um, I'm not saying... I'm not... Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I, just, <laughs> I just meant at school there was a few people like that. Was it state, yeah. and they were—I I agree they were treated differently, like they were rough and tough and stuff. That and, might... and they won't have to go to the Smith family for uniforms and stuff like that. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, well, Smith's saying that you take them, take them all away on holidays for some reason or whatever. Just, just to get to go. Really? Yeah. Like they take other kids, yeah. not you. Yeah, the state wants would go and um, legacy kids, I think. Oh, legacy! What was that? Yeah. Legacies, um, the kids of returned soldiers. Oh, that's right, yep. Yeah. Or soldiers who died in the war. Mm. And it was still, like, Second World War back then. Do you think that's because of your, um, you're a First Nations person, or...? I, I couldn't say with any, um, sort of real sureness now. Mm. Um, I had no idea back then. Yep. Yeah. So but how, it was entirely possible. Yeah. How was it um, affected you being criminalised by like this, like the um, the stolen generation? How, how do you mean? Oh, it says, can you talk about the criminalised as a child? How do, how do you think it affected how, how? Well, well, yeah. Um, mainly because it feeds you straight into the into the adult system. Um, but the way, well, and it's no different now um, to the juvenile detention places I was sent to when I was a kid. Um, they're just they're just as horrible in a different way. Um, the places we we were sent to were pretty awful, and there was a lot of sexual abuse mm. back then, as, as we're finding out now with the Royal Commission. Um, and things haven't really changed that much. No. Except we criminalise children at a younger age now. I think I think it was fourteen or maybe even sixteen when I was a kid to be actual actually. Um, have criminal responsibility, and and now it's ten. Is We're it? locking ten years, ten year olds up in in these conditions, and of course it's always more Aboriginal kids than anybody else. And and then we have things like um, what happened to Dylan Voller come out, hmm. and it's going to keep coming out. You know, this wasn't isolated to to the Northern Territory. This is all over the country, in every single state and territory, this is happening. And, look, we, we say we care so much about the kids. No, we don't. While this is happening, I'm sorry, but we don't care about those kids a bit. Hmm. Do you mean the government, though, care? Yeah, yeah. Or well, even us, that we're allowing it to continue. We know it's happening. We've seen Dylan. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. We, we know it's happening. We know they're killing us all the time. Um, something, something's got to give, and I, and I think um, removing a lot of the a lot of the, the laws that criminalise First Nations people far far and above anyone else would be a good start. Yep. And. And um, increasing the age of criminal responsibility. It's yep. got to be at least 16. Yep. Do you think that... Um, and, and you can't lock kids up. 
it, no. it changes your brain. Mm. The, the trauma of, of all that stuff, it changes how your brain works. And, and it never goes back. Yeah. They've altered you for life. Let's see. And not in a good way. <laughs> 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 no, it's not in a very good way at all. No, wouldn't be. Do you, no. Uh, do you think that, um, like, with the um, people talking about child sex abuse and alcohol drinking and, you know, da-da-da-da, um, do you think that the best thing to do is to recommend um, the government should listen to elders and not just go and force these things onto Aboriginal communities? Oh, it goes without saying. The, the government should have absolutely nothing to do with these things. No. Um, they, they only know one approach, and that's punitive and lock them up. Um, mm. Alcohol and drugs are a huge issue, not just not just in First Nations communities all over Australia. It's because people are desperate, people are hopeless, and we're more hopeless and desperate than, than many other people, yeah, yeah. because of the circumstances of, of, of how we've been treated in this country for yeah. over 200 years. Post. You know, the, the self-medication is a powerful thing. Um, it, it's easy. You don't have to tell your story to, to doctors and psychologists, which you, know, you probably wouldn't even get to see anyhow. Um, so drugs and alcohol are, are a, a cheap, effective, and reasonably cheap, effective, and um, accessible Mm. way to self-medicate from the trauma. And the trauma is huge. It, it impacts so, so much of your your um, your whole being, your identity, your, your belief in who you are, what you think of the world. All of that is, is impacted so deeply. That's true. There's, um, yes... It's, it's not just um, Aboriginal people too, isn't it? Drinking, because Pete, um, the white, white, like you know, I'm white myself, but um, <laughs> the white culture they drink behind closed doors, and you know, not in Bondi. <laughs> not in Bondi. <laughs> That's funny. But, but yeah, I've read a study. Oh, it's a while back now, but um, the statistics shows that. Look, per capita, mm. less Aboriginal people drink than white Australians. That'd be right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it's so beyond the, the myth and the stereotype. Yeah, it's very stereotyping. It, it seems to be increasingly harder to try and dispel those, those stereotypes. Yeah, it's true. They seem to be pushing harder to... Um, you know, cement them on people's minds. Mm. You know, we we can do anything to these people because we've dehumanised them. Yep. Yes, it's it's not a very good it's not a very good situation for any of us. Like um, these things are, are filtering down to the general community now with, with punitive measures with welfare, which admittedly are going to impact us more than anybody else, um, but they will impact everybody. And it's not just that. The, the pension, everything that, that this government doing, is doing is creating a climate 
of despair and hopelessness. Yeah. No wonder our suicide rates are through the roof. And they sit in their ivory towers looking down on everyone, basically. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you'd have tried hard enough, you'd be rich too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's their attitude really, isn't it? Well, it is, it is. Mm. You ask any rich person how they got there and they'll tell you it's hard work. Mm. Have you got any, <laughs> much? <laughs> have you got much? Anything else to say about the um, stolen generation um, stuff? Oh, I think that we've got to stop this one that's happening now. Yep. Like this has got to be stopped. They advertise for for carers, like on Facebook, on the internet. They advertise for carers. Like this is becoming another industry, like um, the job search. Oh, um, really? Providers. They get paid and stuff? Yeah. That's terrible. Look, the poverty industry, now we've got the child removal industry. Jeez. We've got all these little agencies springing up to provide carers and um, collect the money, I imagine. And Yeah, on mainstream TV, there, were, um, there was a big rally in front of the the um, studio, wasn't there? And they just... Um, Channel 7, yeah. Yeah, they just... T- um, Put this false false barrier behind them, like everybody's all pretty and walking past. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was pretty amazing. Um, and they they tried to backpedal from that, but uh, there's no coming back from that. That was that was terrible. It was. <laughs> but uh, they should have gone. They they well they did get a whole lot of backlash, but um, they hit it with screens and mm. you know. Panning to different stories and things. <laughs> yeah, they were saying, like, a white panel saying what the Aboriginal people should do, basically. Oh, I know. I know. Pretty awful. It's the same as colonisation, still. Still, yeah. Oh, yeah, it hasn't stopped. No. Well, thanks, Vicky. It's really well, they good. haven't got everything yet, I suppose. Oh, yeah, true. The, the yeah. land and the... Yeah, little flies in their ointment, I think. <laughs> Thanks, Vicky. We appreciate you coming on the show. I always do. A pleasure talking to you always. No worries, mate. Well, see you soon, hey. Speak soon. Yeah, will do. And that was Vicky Roach talking about the um, various things, but mainly um, the stolen generation. We'll just go to a track now. Um, this is My Island Home. Dear listeners, the annual Good Friday charity radiothon of the Australian Medical Aid Foundation will kick off from 9am to 6.30pm on Friday, the 30th March. 3CR is dedicating its media space to support this noble cause. Therefore, 3CR's regular program will not be on air during this time. The funds raised from this 10-hour radiothon will be utilized to supply medical aid, equipment, training, patient-centered care programs and resources to those affected by 30 years of war in the north and east of Sri Lanka. You too can become a generous partner by calling us on 039419. 8377 during the radiothon on 30th Friday to donate towards this wonderful initiative. 
Remember, Nainok's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for Nadoc Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. Nadoc means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. Nadoc means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy Nadoc! your subscription lapsed we want you back spend more than the evening with us reunite with us subscribe to 3CR and get excited call 9419 8377 or donate online 3cr.org.au and let's get back together It'll feel so good. Why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. Tracy are the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, mm. no tram interference. Mm. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No. That's true. But if you like tram, interference is always the AM. The AM. Old school. <laughs> oh, who oh. Like, you know, some people like the crackle on vinyl. Well, yeah, some, some people like noise music. Experimental mm-hmm, noise music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. yes. Waged? 75 And solidarity? 150 $150. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 94198377 and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. And I will see you all next week. I think Russell will be in. Um, so take care of yourselves. Bye.